Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the School of Travel's podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you two of my good friends here in Portugal, Sam Delesque and Ani Anka, who in 2020 finally realized their dream of opening their first environmentally regenerative co-living community in the Alentejo region of Portugal. They call it the traditional dream factory. And it was actually an old chicken factory that had been abandoned for years when they founded in the middle of the pandemic. Sam and Ani intend on building a new kind of co-living community here, which will be part co-living and part co-op, where residents can realize their own dreams, whether it's growing vegetables, using the factory as a space to hold events, making furniture, or even creating music in the traditional Dream Factory studio. If you have a dream, Sam and Ani are ready to help you achieve it, while also asking you to help take care of their beautiful piece of land. I found Sam and Ani's ideas so inspiring that I just had to spend some time on their new farm and interview them more about their vision to build spaces where people can build businesses and community while also considering the impact on the planet. Are you ready to dream along with Sam and Ani? Let's go. Welcome to episode 58 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm here with Sam Delesque and Ani Anka. Thank you guys for joining the podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm very you. excited because we're in an RV. Actually, we're all sitting in an <laughs> RV and it's like 1030 at night. And we're doing this this late because the birds have finally stopped chirping on this beautiful farm where we are. And I want to explain to you listeners why we're on a farm, what this farm is all about. But first, we need to learn a little bit more about Sam and Ani. So, Sam, can you start? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I thought this was a recording studio. I got uh, I got tricked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm French Danish. Um, I grew up yeah in between. I grew up in the south of France mostly. Uh, moved to New York uh, in 2013, and been working in the tech field for a while. But then, yeah, in the last four years, I've been working remotely and traveling and got introduced to the whole digital nomad scene and started, yeah, just working from places around the world and been realizing that I wanted to kind of find a deeper meaning to the places that I stay, not just stay in an Airbnb and enjoy a nice view and a postcard, but actually have ties to the local places. Um, so yeah, so that I've been working on this concept for building places around the world called Oasa. Great. And Ani, how about you? Tell us about uh, yourself. <laughs> I'm from Romania. I grew up there. I grew up in a small village in Romania, went to school, graduated, and then went to live in New York as well. And I've been there for a few years uh, before starting to move around and have a little bit of this bird life, <laughs> like our little birds that are visiting here at the farm. So moved around between places, mostly Mexico, uh, Turkey, Berlin, and kind of on repeat with New York in between. 
and been in Portugal since a year, a little, yeah, about a year now, and ready to set some roots. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the last year, I can feel that a lot of people have really changed the way they view this no these nomadic lives they were living before. Um, Sam has, I mean, it sounds like it has really changed for you. When did you first start the OASA concept? Uh, it's been like three, four years. Uh, I mean, basically since I started being nomadic, um, from the beginning, I always knew that just living in Airbnbs didn't really make sense for me. Um, I think the Airbnb lifestyle is great for like six months or a year, but then you kind of start needing to see the, the next thing and how you can build roots and have stronger connections. Um, I just feel like you're part of something because when you're just, yeah, living the Airbnb lifestyle, it's more like you're just, uh, like a visitor or like an alien and just kind of an observer. You're not really integrated with the community and with the space. Um, so I think that's what a lot of people are longing for today. Um, and I think a lot of people knew that from way before the pandemic. I think the pandemic, what it shifted was, um, it was kind of like a catalyst where people before the pandemic, they had all these ideas that yes, we need to change society, need to change there's a climate crisis. Uh, there's all these injustices going on. Um, but it also felt like so distant and like, in, in like untouchable um and then all of a sudden with the pandemic i think what was more important than the actual illness and like the pandemic itself is how all the governments reacted to it and how people reacted to it and how all of a sudden all the systems we saw uh, could just change from from one night to the, to the other um and at the same time you start seeing governments printing money and all this kind of stuff so there's also an erosion in the current system, uh, which also has been pushing some people to to try and find new ways and to find meaning in in other places and the traditional system. Yeah, Ani, how did this? How did the pandemic kind of change your vision towards, like you said, putting down roots and everything like that? Yeah, I think it's what ha like for me was not that much as being a nomad and moving around fast. Like every time I went to a place, I, I stayed for a few months and I created a community around it. I organized events and I got to meet the locals. And now I think I'm just to the point where I want to create that experience for other people. Like I know that this trend is not going to change and we, maybe we had a, a one year, two years break from like travels and, uh, issues at the borders and so on, but people will go back at traveling. But how will people travel? That's going to change. And I think it's really nice to have spaces where you can set your anchor for like three, four months out of the year. And so instead of like moving fast and not being able to be part of a community or belonging or connecting to the locals and even more with the nature, because if you don't spend time in a place, then you don't get to connect. If you don't know the trees and the nature around, you're just a visitor, an observer. Yeah, that's one thing I never was feeling when I was traveling so fast between 2017 and 20, the beginning of 2020. It was I was moving every two weeks, so I really feel that. I really it now seems like a whirlwind of just cafes or different people I met, but the land I can't really say I knew the land so well either. So before we continue, how did you guys meet? 
Where did you meet as well? We met in Mexico. Actually, uh, we have to to thank our sponsor, Google. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We, we matched on Google search. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Google. what? That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Google is Sam's best friend. I was looking for a co-living space. Well, I was looking... I was just interested in general in co-living spaces in Mexico. And I think I Googled something like co-living, Tulum, something, community. Um, And I landed on Project Heart, which is Annie's project. And it was... um, Yeah, it was just a few days before it started. And I was heading to Hedone in in, uh, near Tulum as well. Um, and yeah, decided to apply. I think I even confused it for some other community. Um, but I showed up and, uh, and yeah. he became my host. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us more about Project Heart. Uh, so we've been, it's, it's in this international community of people. We all got together through, let's say, festival music, Burning Man, and so on. But I think one thing that, uh, keeps us together is uh, the kindness and the way we show up in the world. And uh, in the last years, we've just organized these retreats or longer even experiments uh, of like co-living, co-working, co-creating together um, once in the wintertime in Mexico and then in the summertime in Turkey. And not really not very big, uh, just small, intimate, um, up to 100 people that we all get to know each other and connect, have deeper connections and really create magic together that's where sam arrived this year well last year i always keep 2020 last year right yeah Yeah. and it's a magical place highly recommend uh yeah in the middle of the jungle in tulum with amazing people amazing music and yeah really have like burning man vibe a little bit but in a much more intimate setting I haven't been a Brody man, but I just hear that the bond that you make with people there is so profound because you're building together. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a free economy where you're just sharing everything, and that sharing is another bonding. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, so, first of all, like, you bond in, like, the, being in the desert and, like, having to struggle to build things, for sure, that brings people together. And, uh, yeah, the idea of gifting... Um, not, not that much of exchanging, no gifting without waiting for anything in return, knowing, having the confidence that they will come back when, when you need it the most and it doesn't have to be a trade and just that culture. I think it's so amazing. And this is something that burners bring back into the default life. Yeah. And so now I think we need to come back to this farm where we're sitting here and i've actually spent the last two weeks with you guys here and you know what brought about this farm so we're in this beautiful village well just outside of this village called abela which is quite a small village but about a five minute walk from the village is this beautiful farm and can you tell us what you decided to name it and what's going on at the farm two three traditional dream factory factory. (laughs) i love it uh, we actually were thinking the other day and we couldn't remember exactly the moment when we decided that it's going to be traditional dream factory. Yeah, basically it, well, the space kind of, um, well, I feel like it's not so much that we created it, like we kind of discovered it. It's like it almost 
already existed. Okay. <laughs> it was waiting for us, and we visited back in September. We saw it the first time, and yeah, right from day one, like we we already said, like yeah, like this is it. Like this really fits the concept. Uh, I mean, I had been scouting properties in like at least three countries before, uh, in South Africa and in, in the U.S. and so on. I'm really looking at so many places where I could build this concept and also trying to find the right people to do it. And it's really tricky to get all of the right ingredients to start a village. Um, and can you go a little deeper into the concept that you have for this place and for Uesa? Yeah, for sure. So basically our, our goal is really to, to kind of change our perspective on what it means to, to really be human um, and how, how we inhabit this planet. Um, and by that, I mean that we want to, first of all, change our perspective on ownership. Um, so like, for example, private, uh, private property, um, we take it so much for granted in the Western world, but actually if you go back just 300 years, uh, most of the world was actually just free land. Um, we didn't have this thing where every single piece of earth was owned by a human and just that concept of that every piece of land should be owned by a human is actually kind of wrong. I think, I think we should have much more land that's just owned by the common and that doesn't mean that you should like extract value from it, but it's just, it's just there and you can, you can enjoy the fruits from it, but it doesn't mean that you should be extracting value, um, and being able to claim whatever you want out, out of it. Um, so that's the first concept, being able to change a little bit of perspective on ownership, going from owning to being stewards of the land. Um, so that's one thing that's like pretty strong in what we're trying to do. Um, and just, I mean, I guess the, the more general concept is just um, taking all the facilities that you have in a, in a city and bringing it out to the middle of nature. So instead of spending two, three thousand per month paying rent in, in a big city, you can be out in the middle of nowhere um, and pay like a quarter of that and get access to way better uh, amenities, whether it's for working, for living, for sleeping, for recreation, for wellness, uh, and even for community and even for culture. Uh, because now with um, uh, with remote work and with all these technologies and trends that are happening, uh, it's really enabling us to move back to yeah to literally anywhere on the planet and get access to all the same facilities as you would have in a city. Uh, so we're seeing this trend of people moving out of the cities and back to the countryside. Um, and yeah, so I guess OASA is, is a take on that and, and a take on maybe going back to whatever uh, more tribal roots, maybe going back to being uh, foragers and nomads. And basically what used to be 90% of the population outside of the city-states um, there's a great book that I was reading recently called uh, Against the Grain. I forget the author, but... We'll look um, it up and put a link to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great book. And it, it really just explained that perspective, that everything that we know from history is really only from the point of view of city-states. Nothing comes from the nomads, because the nomads and the foragers that did not have all these infrastructures, that did not have to build stone walls and whatnot. They were just living in nature and just living from the abundance of nature. Um, and they just weren't leaving as much of a trace. So the histories that we see from the Western world is kind of skewed towards that. Um, but so I think we can just also be a bit more 
imaginative in how we live and we can create abundance and we can, you know, you can create a forest, you can plant some trees. And if you think hey, on a more collective term than just like owning your villa in a suburb, you can really create much more yeah, abundance and diversity and create systems that can really support a lot more people. And you can get access to much cheaper cost of living. Um, and basically, yeah, you can just spend more time doing what you love doing. Um, so I think that's one of the next big values that we're trying to bring here to the traditional dream factory is that, uh, I mean, first of all, when we saw this place, it's 1500 square meters. Uh, we are only going to be using one third of it for living. The rest of it is only for creativity, working. So just building spaces and giving you all the tools to be creative. Um, so whether you want to start a pottery lab or you want to um, just like sit and co-work in the middle of nature, or you want to do some farming, or you want to set up like a CNC lab, or you want to grow mushrooms, whatever it is that you want to do, we're going to provide the facilities for it. So we're kind of creating the container, and then we're inviting anyone to come and take ownership over that container. Very cool. And Ani, can you tell us more about some of the concepts that you saw, like when you were talking to Sam about getting this off the ground and working with him and the people aspect of it, how that's going to play out. Yeah. So as Sam talked about ownership and I think it's really important aspect. I think a lot of people are starting to shift. And for example, in my case, like I've had a lot of ideas because I wanted to have a, a, a place like a physical space for a project hire for my community for a long time, but I wasn't really ready to settle and but I always had these ideas of being self-sustainable, sustainability, and so on. But I think a lot of people uh, are s shifting towards this idea of regeneration. And I think we're just starting to understand the nature that uh, really functions in that simple equation of like the more you give to the nature, the more it gives back. So like the the more we take care of the nature and steward the nature, the more abundance we'll have. And um, I think it's really important for us now as a community to live here, as Sam said, to have the facilities that we could have in, in the city, to have a co-working space and to be able to create events, to be able to... Uh, create art to bring people together and at the same time yeah steward lands and nature and um create abundance i think uh, this is this is this is what we need moving forward it's yeah we need the people we need the play we need abundance we need art and beauty and uh, we have now all, i think it's easy to create all this with the technologies that are available with the way we can connect with other communities with other villages around the world that are doing the same thing yeah and you guys just hosted on this property for, well it was a remote event this year but you're hoping to do it in person next year is that right the rebuild Actually, in september we're doing the physical event oh fantastic and can you tell us a little about a little bit more about rebuild? Because I think, like you were saying, Ani, bringing these communities together around the world is is really like one of the big visions of Oasa and the bigger project. Exactly, because being in this space, like there's just that feeling of collaboration. Like everyone wants 
other people from other spaces to do better because we're like oh, we all have the same goals and uh, yeah our organizing rebuild came around last year we started thinking about how can we connect all these uh, people that are doing something all these organizations and we decided to do a an event here in Portugal uh, just to cross pollinate and like move the information and like create a network of even mentorship and so on um and then at some point we had to switch to the online conference which i think it brought a lot of values because always with the online you can reach all the corners of the world now um yeah and i think really what the what the key here is is that the the future of of living it's uh this concept that we believe in that we can all create a more beautiful planet and our common goal is really the regeneration of the planet. Um, and that future will only be possible if we all collaborate on it. If we are all competing against each other, trying to fight, it's never going to work. So it's really important to, yeah, to really reinforce that. And, and yeah, our community, what we're looking to build with Dream Factory and with Oasa, uh, it's a community of 300 people across the world, so it's really limited in scope. We're trying to build a tribe, basically a tribe of guardians. So they're going to be protecting, we're hoping to protect around 100,000 hectares around the planet. Um, so they're going to be sitting in this land that is going to be in a foundation. So it's going to be protected forever. So it's basically taking, taking land out of the market, protecting it, putting a, a positive business model in place. So that we can actually be sustainable, provide income for the land and for the regeneration work and to, yeah, really live a life of abundance and where it's more about being playful than about being productive. And I think that's really what we need to, to see in this century. And so the whole point of rebuild is really to scale this up. And instead of scaling up by trying to grab more market share for ourselves, we're scaling up by just gift, gifting out whatever technologies we're working on. Whatever ideas we have, we open source everything and we share it. And so with Rebuild, we're looking to just, yeah, just share those ideas and just hoping that more people will just copy paste the same models in other places, adapt them, change them, make them better and just make this whole movement. Yeah, I think that's one reason I really wanted to have you guys on this podcast is because like you're the model. You are one of the models of how you can start something like this. If you're listening in the U.S., if you're listening anywhere in the world, like one thing we have learned, though, is that every country has its different laws. And yeah. so let, let's like ask, let's, you know, talk about that for a minute. What <laughs> kind of challenges have you guys faced in this first? Because this is the first village, right, under mm -hmm. Oasis and, and that Oasis is going to have. So what challenges have you faced legally setting something like this up? Because I know, as you've said, you don't want to own it yourselves. The idea is that many people are going to co-create and Co you're still working that out it, from what I understand, like how it's going to yeah. eventually work legally. Yeah. So basically the, the current system that we have um, hasn't really been designed for this kind of projects uh, because on the one side we have for-profit companies and on the other we have non-profits. And when you're trying to do something like we are, where we are trying to have the land be owned by a non-profit uh, so that it's taken out of the market, but at the same time, when a member invests, uh, that investment is an investment. It's not just a donation. And they're getting something back in return. And what they get back in return is right of use to this land. Um, basically, just ability to, to live on that property for as long as they want. Um, and that 
that's just not a thing that exists. In in the US and in other countries, you have a bit more legal structures supporting that, uh, with like land trust and L3Cs and these kind of things. Um, so you have a bit more flexibility, but in Portugal, um, the rules are not really set up for that yet. And in most of the places around the world, well, and in the US would be the same, like there would be other legal challenges. Um, but yeah, the main, the main things that we're trying to achieve is finding something that's neither completely not profit and neither completely for profit. Um, and yeah, basically doing a business for good. Um, and also I think the, the key, key piece here is that we're doing this because we want to live in it. We're not doing it because we're looking to make profit or because we're looking to earn money or whatever. This is really because we believe in this idea and we want to go back to basically how the planet used to operate. And basically we're trying to, to use the capitalist system in our favor to build a, a better world. Um, but yeah, down the road, I think uh, as more and more people start picking up this project, it's also going to get easier and easier as we've really like ironed out all these models. And because of all the collaboration that's happening, this is happening a lot faster. Um, and another thing is we are also really looking to work with governments and creating these kind of places that can, um, because if you, if you look at the economics of it, if you can bring 150 digital nomads, for example, to a rural area in the middle of somewhere, it's actually a lot more valuable than, for example, tourism. Um, uh, level IO, for example, he posted an article recently saying that just a single digital nomad who earns a, a New York salary, say 150,000 per year, is equivalent to 750 tourists. Uh, because each tourist spends on average, say, five or ten days, I don't remember. Um, and they usually come on a budget and so on. So compared to a digital nomad who can come here and have a much higher um, savings rate and be able to invest that in the place that they live, um, that means that the impact that you can have as a community of entrepreneurs coming to a rural area is far greater than any kind of tourism project that you can imagine. Um, so there's a strong incentive for governments to work with us uh, on this kind of project. And you're starting to see cooperation, whether it's in the Madeira and a lot of other places where people are starting to think about uh, creating endowment zones and creating different kind of spaces where, um, and also just creating more room in the legal infrastructure to be able to work as a village. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. To sum it up, it's been difficult for us <laughs> to find the, the right uh, model from the right legal structure, uh, exactly based on everything that we want to do. Um, governance in a certain way. And we put a lot of effort into creating uh, specific governance and yeah, just like having the land being owned by a foundation in Portugal is really hard to to get a level of foundation, to get a foundation up and running. So it's not like something that we could start. It takes about five years. Um, so in terms of replication, I think that would be one of the hardest things to be replicated to another community, like in another country. But there's also there's also the up and coming blockchain and the decentralized human organizations. And I don't know, I don't think it's going to take very long until uh, it's go going to be possible to create a village and a community without being plugged into legal systems of a certain country and just be more a little bit like, as our friend Jeremy says, meta structures and plugged into 
uh, things like that. Yeah. The funding as well, right? The funding through the blockchain and through that exactly. setting up exactly. that system is you can, you know, you don't have to ask banks for their yeah. help anymore. Uh, exactly. It's, it's quite amazing that it's such a hard thing to do. Like you want to just buy a house with your friends and share it. And there's no good legal way to do that. Uh, there's always complications. You can't like, if you want to put everyone on the title, I mean, that's going to be a nightmare because every time you want to, to have a new owner, uh, you have to transfer the title and so on and so on. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really a complex thing, which is strange because it would seem like the most like basic human thing to want to share property. Uh, but it's, yeah, the current system is just really not set up properly for that. But yeah, we, we believe that, yeah, that blockchain can really think, change these things. And basically with blockchain, we're able to create all of our own rules. So as soon as we crack that nut of being able to find a legal entity that can own land uh, on behalf of a blockchain, uh, which is still tricky, but we're trying to find ways around that. Whenever that problem gets cracked, or maybe when some governments start to be a bit more open towards these kind of uh, concepts without, for example, considering us as security and putting a having to put those villagers through the same regulations as a public company. Um, once we start seeing that and the government start to understand that, okay, like, is that just trying to actually do something good? And that actually makes sense that they want to regulate their governance through blockchain. Then I think that will accelerate things a lot. Uh, right now we're looking at uh, cooperatives. As in Portugal, as I was saying, uh, there's like, the for-profit companies and then non-for-profit or so co cooperatives is something in between something that could fit with what we need where a group of people they get together and to maybe do business but not to for profit just to like uh, get uh, everyone involved uh, have a uh, uh, well common goal. common goal yes and uh, so we're looking at maybe having to get a few entities in place to like lock and do all this kind of system where we have an association owning the land, a, co a housing cooperative for building uh, and renovating houses and then another uh, cooperative to run, run the project and uh, um, create small businesses, create our dreams dream businesses yeah i wanted to ask you about why you've called it dreams and how that ties in with also continuing to fund mm -hmm. the project and keep it going yeah so it's interesting as in the cooperative model um you can have like small uh, projects and or like we like them to call them dreams because we're at the dream factory um and because it's so complicated and so bureaucratic the system instead of having them like have their own company they can just run under one single entity and we're thinking to do something like that here at dream factory to enable members and stewards uh, that are part of it to follow their dreams create their product uh, i don't know launch uh, launch their digital product or a mushroom uh, farm, mushroom lab, uh, or whatever they might be dreaming about, um, and structure it in such a way that it's easy into a cooperative and to that, operate in. And that goes back into the whole creating collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's not only between all those different village concepts, it's also between villagers themselves. 
So for example, here, instead of, you know, you starting your for-profit company and being by yourself and having to do, figure out everything, um, you are operating your business within the, the bigger business of the village and whatever profit you earn, you're going to be contributing some of that profit back to the community. And then we can have two types of projects. You have the personal project. So say you are a jewelry designer. You really want to come and live at the factory. You get access to all the facilities to do your jewelry. You can come and do that. And then you can just contribute a, a share of your profits back to the community. So it benefits everyone. And uh, for that share, you actually get to get access to the space. And you avoid having to deal with all the legal stuff, accounting things, all those like basic uh, things that you need to do as a business. Uh, and on top of that, what you get access to is um, huge uh, human capital. So you get access to a bunch of creative and entrepreneurs and uh, whether you need like a developer to make your website or you need like someone to do some metal works or whatever. And what we find is when we, you bring all these amazing people from all over the world who had all these amazing experiences and who are like, um, yeah, I would say like really professional people who had like great careers in all kind of different fields. Um, from like we have, uh, 50 or we have like 80 people on the WhatsApp group for the traditional dream factory. And out of all those people, uh, whatever skills it is that we need, <laughs> they, there's always, always find someone. someone. <laughs> And it doesn't matter what it yeah. is, whether it's like plumbing, electricity, jewelry, rocket science, I'm sure we could find. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, that's just the power of collaboration. I mean, as I was saying, I've been here with you for two weeks and I was here during the online rebuild event, but it was also partially offline because there were some people here who just started this dream factory with you. And I mean, I, all, all the different disciplines and skills that even the people who were showing up here had, and there were only, I think around like less than 20 people total, including ourselves. But mm -hmm. I mean, I was amazed and just being next to people and working alongside them, even though they had skills completely different from mine, I was so inspired to learn these new things, to pick up even part, a little tiny piece of their skills. But I can tell you, it's so inspiring. And so this model, this idea that you have, I really hope like I even copy paste or, you know, we get inspiration from your story to like, if somebody's listening and they're like, wow, this sounds like the perfect thing for me. Like if they could get together with their friends and start taking those steps to change the world, like you said, and, and protect the planet in the same, at the mm -hmm. same time, it's just, it'd be an amazing, it's a force for good. And yeah, I think, I think it's important too. So let's talk about when you first got onto this property, which now is a little over two weeks ago. What was the state of things? What has changed in the last two weeks, your first two weeks here? How are you making this possible? Well, so I guess, first of all, it's been since September that we really started envisioning this property. Uh, we spent the first three, four months trying to, well, first of all, tracking who are the owners of the land next door to make an arrangement with them. Uh, because the factory was, uh, it was just a factory without any land. It's an old chicken farm. Yes, yeah, so chi an old chicken farm. <laughs> chicken factory. <laughs> um, we like to call it a factory. Um, but yeah, so the first step was tracking down who are the owners, uh, finding an arrangement with them, and finding out how we could actually get the land that we wanted. Um, because there's a lot of legislation around that again. You can't subdivide plots uh, that are 
smaller than 40 hectares in, in Alentejo, in this part of uh, Portugal, for, for rural areas. Um, so and so in the end, we, we managed to find a very good solution, which is to lease a piece of land that we really want now, but with the option to purchase a bigger property uh, with a set price from the beginning. So it means that if our project is successful, we can purchase the rest of the land, we can expand, we can build more houses and create like a full village. And if it's not successful, then we didn't spend all that money on, on capital, which would make sense to, to do upfront. Uh, so I think we really found a good solution for that. Um, and then, yeah, of course, like, um, then the last, uh, three, four months have been about more legal things, uh, finalizing all the paperwork for the factory itself. Um, once we finally had the agreement and deciding if we were going with a bank or if we we're just buying, uh, cash with contributions from the members and so on. Um, so yeah, but once we finally got access to the, to the buildings, and we finally signed. Uh, well, we did start doing a little bit of planting action, like uh, since a couple of months, mm-hmm. been planting some trees and some gardens around the property. Yes, we had access mm-hmm. to the land yeah. before we had access to the uh, to the buildings. So yeah, uh, it's been I think ten years that it hasn't been in use. So being very close to the village, it was previously connected to the grid but disconnected. So yeah, we came into no electricity, no water, no. Not much, uh, no no living conditions, but we did in the first weekend, we did a big spring cleaning and the community got together and we managed to clean the whole space and made room for fresh energy. And yeah, exactly what you said. Like, I'm, I'm totally surprised uh, how much we could do together as just a small group, like to be able to get uh, the the buildings from like not having electricity and water to like host an online conference with uh, internet that Kyle that is here with us he he fixed up and we were able to 120 megabit download yeah. in the middle of an yes <laughs> like he has these amazing skills and he put together this load balancing router whatever he did he did it right because we we were able to stream uh, live from here and like be on our own computer, six, seven of us at the time. And yeah, we, we popped up some uh, glamping tents and we have a space to sleep and we have the water running also thanks to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd never done that before. Some new skills. New <laughs> exactly. Skills, but because I was with others, like you said, the power yeah. of the group and yeah, com- combining your skills, but it was amazing to see how it all took shape and how much progress you guys made in the first, even in the first two weeks. Yeah. I think we can thank Burning Man a little bit for this culture of mm-hmm. building. And like you said in the beginning, uh, that, yeah, yeah, that what makes Burning Man is this whole building culture. And, and to me, it's really also about, um, shifting from being, uh, consumption to production. So when you shift, like having fun, from being something that you just consume passively, someone is providing fun to you and you just eat it, to being you are creating your own fun. And that's like a completely different perspective. And it also really empowers people instead of, you know, thinking, oh, we don't have water, we have to call the plumber, uh, and so on. It's like, oh, I don't have water. Well, maybe I can pick up a few plumbing skills and, and learn a bit about that. And it's not that we have to do everything ourselves, but uh, there's so many things that you can do. And, you know, when you're a group of 80 people, I'm sure you will find at least a few people who have done a bit of plumbing, a bit of electricity, a bit of this and that. 
So you always be able to like fix up and do the, the, the minimum setup. And it doesn't um, have to be perfect from the beginning. There's yeah. also al always the trial and error and learning. That's, that's how we learn. And yeah, I think it's for us, we're very comfortable to just go on phases. And like right now we are like, this is MVP number one and we're happy and we're going to be happy with the next phase. And. Yeah, we do have a vision to create a really beautiful place and to have a natural water pool and green uh, greenhouse and sauna and uh, so many other things. But one thing at a time, and I think it's important to get involved in the process. Um, and we are inviting, I mean, as maybe we didn't mention at the beginning, this is not a place for people to live permanently. Well, they could if if they want to, but it's more for people to circulate, to have a rotation, to come here for like one, two, three, four months out of the year. And yes, where was I going to? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this pretty much is that idea of building. I think basically what we're doing is we're inviting everyone to come and take exactly. ownership in this place, to, to build something, to create something beautiful together. And it's not about, you know, we're not creating a five-star hotel and you, you're going to come and enjoy a nice luxury pool and a nice room. We're going to have nice facilities and everything, but you also build it yourself and you will imagine it yourself and you will dream it yourself. And because of that amazing explosion of creativity that's going to happen from this group of people getting together and dreaming this place together instead of, you know, being just like the dream of some person or... or even worse, like if it comes from a corporation creating a hotel, so there's just really no soul behind it. You, you're not like if you're creating an experience and you're just doing it for money, it's like it's really hard to create something good. I think if you're creating something just because you want to, to have fun and play with your friends, I mean, you're going to create something that has so much more uh, pers personality. Yeah. And you mentioned planting, like, you know, we've all been out there now the last two weeks, like helping. We have kind of a master planter here at the moment, uh, Freddie, but we have all been like touching the land and, and planting seeds. And I can't tell you guys the last time I planted something before I came here. And it was just like, I remember doing it as a child or growing up like for a school project, but it's just like, it's so special and it's so simple, but mm -hmm. so many of us don't do that anymore or we just have, like you said, we've gone into consumption and not any of the production, but the land is right there for so many people. Even many people have a backyard and they don't even use, or a front yard, they have some land and they don't do anything with it, especially grow things in mm -hmm. it. So it's it's really powerful to get back to that. And I think that, you know, if we keep going and, and pushing ourselves to that new paradigm of production, it's really going to change the world. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, talking, going back to abundance, which we talked about, it's, it's not just an abundance in terms of quantity, but it's not in terms of diversity. Like really what we're trying to do here is bring as much diversity as possible, both in terms of, I mean, ideas, like we mentioned, but especially biodiversity bringing, you know, there's not going to be a, a single crop of wheat or whatever. We're trying to create a forest or bring as many trees and plants as possible to grow together. So when you're going to be walking around our lands, it's going to be like an explosion of senses. You're going to be discovering so many new things that you haven't seen before. And this is really what we want to do. Make it playful, make it fun and make it abundant. And you can be walking around again, being able to pick your own fruit, fruits and veggies, whatever you want. 
And, and yeah. it's interesting that, yeah, that what happens in the forest will happen, I guess, in our community as well, because plants, and that's why we're planning to do this agroforest, because plants, they support each other and like a taller tree keeps shade to another smaller one that keeps water and retain. So I think it's something that we will have in our people culture as well. Like we grow faster and more beautiful when we are together because we don't all have the same strengths but we can support each other when we need to and yeah i think it's a nice parallel and, and maybe just to touch on on like our model uh, basically and that's what's going to be inspiring a lot of this is that we're basing this whole place on a duocratic model so anyone can take ownership over the place it's not like we as the owners or we as a boss or whatever no Everyone's going to be co-owning. Everyone is going to be co-creating. There's going to be a process for this creation to make sure that it has some order and we're not like uh, conflicting ideas. Uh, but anyone can come and create something. And and then another concept um, is kind of based on the rebuild uh, framework, which is um, whatever decision we we take, we're going to be thinking about what is the impact of that decision on the people. And when we talk people, it's the people from the village, the people from the community, both uh, the people who are going to be creating and so on. Uh, but we're also going to be thinking about nature in general and like what is the impact on on the fungi, what is the impact on the trees, what is the impact on the plants. Um, yeah, and then finally thinking about um, the the economics of it. Exactly. The second side piece and thinking is this like maybe you have a great idea for people and. And for fungi and plants and etc., but maybe it's not so good for for funding and business. Like maybe you're gonna be creating um, an economic model that's not sustainable. So the goal is to be sustainable on all the levels, whether it's economic, social, and um, environmental. And yeah, that's what we're trying to prove. <laughs> It's so powerful. And I really think the environment has been left out for way too long now. And I think we all need to start including that in every yeah. decision that we make going forward. Wearing the nature hat again. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the town of, of Abela nearby and how the how you're planning to incorporate the people who are already here who live quite close by. Because I think this could happen with a lot of villages being set up. Like you had mentioned that you talked to your neighbors first and you were trying to see what their what the status was with the neighbors and how you could work together. What have you experienced in the in the first couple of weeks here with the probably some curious villagers I would imagine <laughs> nearby like because you do have quite a big piece of land uh, uh, that's making up part of this village and like you said it was abandoned for 10 years but um, maybe you can talk about her now the former one of the former owners she's living in the village now. Yes, uh, one of the one of the sisters, so Maria Fernanda. She lives in the village, and she's been very welcoming. I mean, she it almost feels like she passed the legacy to us. And um, we did have a moment with her when we asked her what's her dream for this place, and she said just to create something beautiful. And she's been very supportive uh, since we got here uh, with ideas like they don't know anyone. We I have to help them. And but not only her, I think I think we're really, really lucky and maybe it's not everywhere the case, but here like everyone that sees us, they, they I feel like they they receive us with a little bit of curiosity, but mostly just welcoming and I think they were also missing something fresh. 
um, the population here, there's about 400 people living in the small town, uh, 800 in the surroundings. And uh, it's it's an old population, a lot of people over 60 years old. So I think it's nice for them too, to have some freshness in town. And uh, we, we, we're really happy to have this connection. We rented a house in town and we're passing by every day and starting to know people. Yeah, we definitely want to keep the connections here. One of the warehouses uh, of the chicken farm, they used to lend it uh, uh, to to the town to organize their village parties with like fado music and so on. It's still called Pavilion de, de Baile. It's like dance pavilion. And definitely we want to keep that tradition and we already plan uh, to have a little a party for, for the village in June to invite some uh, bands, local musicians, uh, Alentejano music, and just make them feel also welcome as well as they feel, they make us feel welcome in their town. Yeah, just one, one experience I can add is, uh, um, so those uh, the owners that we are leasing the land currently from, uh, surrounding the buildings and where we're going to be purchasing the bigger property from them down the road, the way that deal was made was pretty funny because it's the cousins of the people who sold us the factory and we got in touch with them and after i don't know after a bit of back and forth finally like one day we we found a solution of how we were gonna do it and so we just met up with them actually we saw the land for the first time we hadn't really walked all the land it was raining me and Annie were running around like frogs and getting all wet going through the river. There's a big, uh, well, a small river in the back, uh, back of the property. Um, and there's all these amazing places. And to us, it was like, oh yeah, like we just have to buy this big plot because we can't buy the smaller one. And okay, so let's check it out if we're going to be buying it down the road. Uh, and then we visited and it was just incredible. Like so many little valleys. There's like a mill on the top. There's a, there's a farm, there's all these amazing things. And on paper, it looks good because you have, I mean, you have the river, you have some urbanizable land, which means that we can build houses down the road when we want to expand. Uh, you have the cell phone tower, which pays us rent. And so you have all these things which on paper look good, so that made the land more valuable and so on. But then when you actually see the land, it, it was actually, yeah, like really amazing. And we ended up the day, and it was it was really cold. I forget what month it was, but we were in the house in the town, which didn't have good insulation and no good heating, and we're sitting in there the whole afternoon, kind of cold, but we're just drinking uh, aguardiente, which is a local liquor, <laughs> um, and it kind of felt like they were testing us out a little bit. Well, they're just trying to see who we were, and. But finally, like after a few hours of conversation and drinking aguardientes, and then it was like, okay, like we we adopt you. <laughs> and I remember the moment when uh, the the guy who 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 owns the land, um, when Annie went out, he kind of took me aside and started having a bit of man talk and explaining things about the trees and how they're like really uh, precious and how it's like those special kind of oak trees that are like pretty hard wood that you can actually use to make instruments with. Um, and I'm talking about the relationship between the land and the villagers, how the villagers actually come to him and ask him to, if they can pick up a, a tree because you can't cut the trees because they are protected. 
But when a tree dies, uh, it's actually valuable, so the villagers really want to pick it up. And so they've been gifting some of the trees that, that die to the villagers. And that's a kind of small but meaningful interactions that we really have to watch out for when we're creating a village like that, is that we're not just landing a spaceship and creating our own culture and our own rules, but really thinking about what are the traditions of that place and how can we like really integrate some really like observe and same same thing as when you're farming, you have to sit down and just observe nature and take take the time and really just absorb those interactions. And the same thing was coming into this village. I think I think we did a pretty good job of like taking the time, getting to know and having kind of also like a strategy of how to do it. And I guess I mean we were really lucky to have so many people welcoming us right from the beginning. So we, yeah, basically all of the people who either sold or leased us the land, they're basically our ambassadors now. And it's really important to have that local hero who can talk, uh, who you can talk with, who who can point you in the right direction when you need something, who can put you in touch with people. Uh, Maria, who who sold us the building, she's also the one that uh, found us the house that we're renting in town. Um, she's been get, uh, connecting us with a shepherd to get cheese, uh, to get wool. Uh, yeah, basically everything has been through those connections. So it's really important to have, yeah, a local hero. Yeah, I haven't told you yet, but the other day I was walking in town and, uh, there was this woman very happy to see me. And I was like, where do I know her from? Where do I know her from? And it was another Maria because a lot of the women in Portugal, they call Maria. It was the woman that the real estate uh, woman oh. that show us, showed us the dream factory for the first time. And she was so happy for us. I'm so happy you got it. And this is my father. Let me introduce you to my father. And it was just so nice. Like she really had this like genuine happiness. And, uh, yeah, when she showed us the factory, she, she was so emotional because she grew up here. Her parents took care of the, of the factory and she grew up in the little house and then. She showed us, she was the real estate person to show us the place. We actually promised her we're going to name the garden behind Mar Maria Luz. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and can you please mm -hmm. share with the listeners also what happened to all of us when we were having a picnic last weekend? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a good <laughs> surprise. Uh, yeah, so it was during Rebuild. Um, we were just taking a break from uh, sitting in conference room, even though we were like in the, in the factory. And we're sitting under an oak tree, everyone just hanging out, having like a super relaxed time, drinking wine, and there's a the sun, and, and we see a few cars and like driving down a small street, which is like pretty rare because there's only the factory on the street. And the car stopped and we're like, hmm, and they're all dressed up in, in suits and stuff. So, so we thought, is this like realtors? What is it doing? Like showing our lands? What is this? Um, and so, and they started like walking out into the field and you had like five men like wearing white, uh, white, um, suits. Um, and then finally, like we thought, oh, like it really looks like, uh, some kind of mariachi band or something like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then we realized that actually they were with a photographer and they were taking photos for their, for the album cover. Um, and the photographer turned out to be our neighbor, yeah. Italian Your neighbor. Your next door neighbor, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. Um, and so we went and talked with them and yeah, took a couple of pictures. And so they were just having this postcard picture with uh, the town of Abel in the background. With the church. <laughs> with the church standing on our lands. 
Um, and then we invited them and they came over. Well, a couple hours later, they just showed up and they started playing some typical Lentejano songs for us, which was amazing. Yes. Uh, the, the, what was it? The lyrics of the first song they, they mentioned sang. dreams. Yeah. It was like, it was like Alentejo, the land of dreams. sonhos. If this isn't meant to be, or you haven't done a great job laying the foundation, I don't know what, what it is, you know? Um, so that was like really, really special. And I think it really shows how you've reached out to people. You've kept your doors open. You're welcoming people in. And we've all spent the last year or, or longer for a lot of people like living isolated and getting more and more shut away. And you're wondering, do I continue to do this or how do I get back to being open or should I be? And, you know, I think the answer for everybody is we can't live alone. We can't, we are not as strong by ourselves and we need to start coming together. And like you've said many times, like change the planet and start to regenerate and rebuild our communities because we've seen how weak we can be when we're on our own, keeping our distance, you know, or, or becoming more distant because of that. So it's um, really important. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about COVID because it's been talked about before, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, this whole push to rural areas, um, I mean, it's being fueled by COVID and like in the, in the U S like the, the, the price of all the re retail real estate for, for offices is $2.5 trillion, uh, in the cities alone. And I mean, that's a crazy number, the same as the GDP of Switzerland. Um, and what I believe and what a lot of people believe is that all of that money is just going to start flowing out into the countryside, because why would you want to sit in a tiny office in New York and pay a crazy amount of money when you can just be in the middle of anywhere and have an amazing lifestyle and do the same job? I think it's really important, like how we pioneer now these villages, because it can be also like the trend, everyone moving out and starting to, I don't know, to recreate uh, some capitalistic uh, uh, villages and so on. So I think it's really, we're a, a decisive point here. And I think this movement, it's really blossoming. And yeah, we've seen during Rebuild, how many people around the world, they, they're trying to set an example and how we can live with nature. And I think that's good if we can replicate villages that in in a conscious way like that, like definitely there's a lot of space in the rural area and there, to embrace a lot of the people moving out of the cities. And it's definitely making us more resilient in terms of sustainability, in terms of food production, in terms of creativity, but also in terms of pandemics. Uh, if you think about it, pandemics is, is a thing from the cities. The, before, like in in the old age, uh, you used to like actually, and that's also from that book against the grain. Um, it also explains how um, pandemics wasn't a thing for nomads and for foragers because uh, just you don't just don't have enough concentration of people to be able to transmit diseases. Um, so actually, living in these kind of rural settings around the same group of people and so on you're way more shielded from any kind of pandemics than if you're living in a big city. So even though it's not the reason why we're doing it, it's just like an added benefit. And it just shows that, yeah, we really should transition our lifestyle from, yeah, being in overcrowded cities with no amenities and 
no connection with nature, I think it's time that we move on and that we can see that we can actually be both. We can both be on that so-called civilized side and have technology and have access to remote work and all these kind of things. But if we can also be in nature and we can be planting and we can, yeah, be together in, in tribes. And give back to the planet and to the earth as well and th mm -hmm. think of it, take it into consideration as well at the same time. Yeah, exactly. it's a good opportunity also for cities to be redesigned because, I mean, they're not going to just disappear, So, but it's a good opportunity and a lot of like change in like the value flow and like a lot of people moving out, the real estate prices, market, everything is changing. So there's a, a good opportunity for cities to adopt different strategies, bring more green. I mean, there's examples of like in Singapore or something, it can be better. It doesn't have to uh, be all, all people living in shoe boxes and just concrete everywhere. So yeah. But I hope that that's going to be a good transition for cities as well. And throughout this last year, now people have been given the permission to work remotely or they've learned how to do it. And so now you, you have a lot more opportunity for these people to come out and spend some time at a dream factory or in a rural setting. And they don't have to do it maybe full time. But yeah, mm -hmm. what's the next model going to look like? But I think this is a great example. So thank you guys for sharing your story with me. I hope this inspires a lot of people to think differently about, you know, the way they've been, where they've been living or what they might start doing in the future. And this is great how you can be in a rural setting. You can be doing a lot of things, learning from each other. Um, and also, like you said, still have the tools that you need to work and to thrive. Mm -hmm. And to dream. And to dream. <laughs> yes, always dreaming. Yeah, thank you, Becky, for, for having you. us. And thank you for being here at the Dream Factory, building dreams with us. Um, yeah, it just shows that you can do a podcast or you can plant potatoes. You can, anything you want to do, really, you can do it from wherever you want these days. So yeah. there's um, no, no more limits no more walls there's no more limits no more walls just plant your <laughs> seeds plant your dreams all those things mm -hmm. if people do want to follow you guys or find out more about your project where can they go so the traditional dreamfactory.com will be up soon well it is up but with password but uh it's going to be made public very soon we're just waiting on some new branding and whatnot uh, to really share everything and yeah, if you just type traditional dream factory on Google, Google Maps, you'll be able to find us and you can just come visit. Yeah, open doors for visits in Abella. <laughs> Great. Come and see this beautiful village and this beautiful farm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam and Ani, for sharing your dreams with us and starting work on the traditional dream factory. I hope that this episode might inspire you listeners to consider spending more time in nature or check out a co-living near you if you've never heard of the concept before. There are actually many co-living spaces around the world for those of us who want to live with others in a shared space and trade dreams, skills, meals, and ideas. Personally, I enjoyed the traditional dream factory so much that I've decided to invest in Sam and Ani's project and spend some time every year in the Portuguese countryside, now that I've decided to become a resident of this beautiful country. I hope to check back in on Sam and Ani's progress one year from now on this podcast and see how far their project has come. For more information on co-living and regenerative communities, 
I'm also going to put some links on theschooloftravels.com, including a link to Sam's company, OASA. Thank you as always for listening, and stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this